title of today's Bible study is in Micah chapter 7, and it's True Confession. Make no mistake that if you're a Christian, the key to the gospel is repentance. Because everything that Jesus did for us is great. Everything that God wants to give us through him, all spiritual gifts and blessings are wonderful. But if our hearts have not come to a place of genuine repentance, then we can't access those gifts that God desires to give to us. And what that means is, if repentance is the key to the gospel, then the key to repentance is confession. You have to be willing to confess if you're really repentant. The Bible tells us, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever you really have in your heart, eventually it's going to come out one way or another. So if you've got an evil, wicked heart, <laughs> give it to the Lord because it's going to come out when that dude cuts you off. Or when somebody does something to you that you've premeditated in your heart against them already, it's just going to slip out, possibly in front of a brother or sister. And you say, oops, I didn't mean that. No, you did mean that. It's what was in your heart. Maybe now you're sorrowful because you know that you shouldn't have done it. But from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Let's flip really quickly to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verse. let's start in verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You see, repentance happens, but the confession is really the confirmation of the repentance. We as believers, we have to remember as we go through life that our heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can know it? Only God can search the depths of the heart. And even sometimes I've prayed that prayer and said, God, show me what's really in my heart. And I, and I realized very quickly the mistake I had made. God, deal with my heart, but don't show me how wicked it is. It's no fun. It's wicked. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says that if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, he's talking to believers, he is just and righteous, he is just and able to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. It's an active repentance, an active confession. And where we left off in Micah chapter 6, picking up in chapter 7, we, we are going into a chapter where there's a realization that consequences are coming and there's somewhat of a confession of guilt and sin. Partly by the pro prophet Micah, and I believe partly by the nation in some way, but the consequences have to remain just because we're sorry for something doesn't mean we get the consequences taken away. Wouldn't our kids love that? <laughs> 
Just say sorry. In fact, I remember certain stages with our kids going through, they do something wrong and we taught them to say sorry and they would just say, sorry, 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 sorry. I know. But you have a righteous father, me. And I told you this is what was going to happen if you did that. Micah chapter, se- chapter 7, verse 1. Woe is me, for I am like those who gather summer fruits, like those who glean vintage grapes. There is no cluster to eat of the first ripe fruit which my soul desires. He's saying, woe is me. This is the season that he's in right now, that the nation is in. Even though it's time to harvest the grapes and partake and enjoy, there's none to be had. We don't live in, a, in, a, in really a society or, or a way that we, we have first fruits, but sometimes, you know, there was a, I, I really like lobster. And there's some places that, that do these lobster rolls, nice, nice and buttery, and oh, they're so good. And there's this one place in particular that are re- very reasonable as well, and I, I, I like to go there, but they only do lobster rolls when lobster's in season, and I kind of like that, you know? It's like, oh, I'm get, getting ready to look forward to something. We talked about that a few weeks ago, too, didn't we? What a disappointment it is when you're looking forward to something and it doesn't happen the way that you think it should or that it was supposed to. My wife reminded me uh, of that recently. She, she brings this up. Sometimes we get bummed about something we were expecting. She says, remember, hope deferred makes the heart sick. <laughs> it does. You're hoping in something, and then it's deferred, and the heart is, oh, man, I wish that happened. And for them, the harvest and the partaking of the harvest was a joyous part of their culture. And he's saying, woe is me. I want to partake of the grapes, but I know that there isn't any to be had. It's lobster season, but there's no rolls in the shop. It's just not going to happen. There's no cluster to eat of the first ripe fruit which my soul desires. When you've gone for a while without something, you start to want it even more, right? Any of you who've been on the mission field know this. Even if it's a short-term mission trip, you go to a country and you eat their food, you're in their culture, and it's great. You know, it's cool, it's all new. But then you're like, oh man, all I really need is a cheeseburger. Why don't these people have cheeseburgers? or Skittles, or peanut butter cups, or peanut butter for that matter. I just take a spoon of peanut butter. If they, they don't have any, it's different, you know. My soul longs for those good things. And then af- for us, after being over there for a while, you know, when I, before I left, I would not, I would not, I'm not even exaggerating, I would not even look at McDonald's. I couldn't stand it. I ate McDonald's three times when I was a little kid that I can remember, and each time after I ate it, I threw up. I had a bad taste in my mouth, literally, of McDonald's, and I would not eat it. Guess the first foreign restaurant that comes to split Croatia, McDonald's. Guess where we love to go? (laughs) It was our birthday go-to present. Oh, it's our birthday. We're going to McDonald's. My soul longs for the good things that the Lord's provided, that the Lord wants to give me, that I've experienced in the past, but the sin that I allowed myself to be in has taken those things away. It's a sobering truth. 
don't think for us as believers that we can have some kind of sin in our life, leave it unaddressed, and the Lord isn't going to take the fruit away. That's what he glories in, the fruit that comes from our lives. And if we're not going to produce fruit, then he has to come in and trim and do work on the vine, do work on the branches. In fact, when we finish Micah, we're going to have a topical study right before we get into 1 John, and it's going to be on our fruitfulness as believers, something the Lord has been ministering to me about lately. Am I producing fruit like I should be? If there's a season that the Israelites are going through where they reject the Lord, they reject his counsel, they reject his will, there's also going to be a season that comes of fruitlessness and uh, time to be held accountable for what they had done. The faithful man has perished from the earth. There is no one upright, verse 7, among men. They all lie in wait for blood. Every man hunts his brother with the net that they may successfully do evil with both hands. This is what had permeated the culture there in Israel. We talked about in the first few chapters of Micah, this is the reason it was necessary for God to pronounce judgment, nay, even judgment, discipline on the nation to restore them later because they were treating each other so badly. Where's the righteous man? Who does right anymore? This is what happens in a culture and society where there's corruption at the top and it comes all the way down to the bottom. Do you know what the little guy says? The little guy says, I have to be corrupt because if I'm not corrupt, I can't make it. And that is a lie from the devil. If we stand up in righteousness for truth, then the Lord will have our backs and he will take care of us. We can trust in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Therefore, his righteousness will be shown through our lives. This is something I heard over and over again in Croatia. I love those people, and I love that country. But one thing you could see about their system, it is very corrupt. And I don't know how many conversations I had with men and women who love the Lord Jesus Christ, who would cheat on their taxes and cheat on their tests and cheat on, because they felt like if they didn't, they could never get ahead. It's, it's a lie. It's a lie. During exams, when you're taking your final exam, depending on how, uh, what kind of grade you wanted to get in college, the students would put a certain amount of money in with their exam, their test, or whatever the paper, and hand it in. If your family was able to give you a little bit more to gift to the teacher, then you happen to get a little bit of a better grade. The taxes were so high. Listen, you guys think our taxes are bad? We pay 25% sales tax in Croatia. You buy a new car, you slap on 25%. That's right. You spend $20,000 on a car, you spend $5,000 that goes to the government. $25,000 in taxes. We had our own business. We had a, a, a translation a cafe and a, a language school. I, we couldn't afford to hire people. When we hired people, half of their salary went to the government. Half. So if we paid them 4,000 kunas, four, uh, 2,000 went to them and 2,000 went to the government on top of all the other taxes. So when it came time to cheat, you know what? They took every opportunity they could. 
And they said, the, the reason, this is what they said to us, the reason that the taxes are so high is because the government knows that nobody's going to pay them. So whoever does, whatever little it is, it makes up for all those who don't pay. It's a corrupt system. And then before you know it, nobody is being righteous. Nobody's doing the right thing. You wonder why everybody wants to leave countries and come to America? It's because the people in those countries are abused and misused and mistreated. And this is exactly what was happening in Israel right now. The upper echelon, the elite, were abusing the people of the land, they were seizing their land. They were taking houses away from widows. They were overtaxing. Judges were receiving bribes, etc., etc. God says, I am going to bring an end to it. They are starting to feel the pains of their sin. They're not receiving the fruitfulness that they once did. There's no faithful man left. Everybody's waiting for blood, even their own brothers. Man, I'll tell you what. Me and my siblings, we fought growing up. You know, the verse, I think is Luke 24. Jesus says, uh, father will be against son and daughter against mother. You know, Jesus is coming quickly. Well, if you hung around us, <laughs> you'd think he was coming real quick. We have a great relationship now, you know. They may successfully do evil with both hands. You know what it means to do evil with both hands? It means you're no longer trying to hide anything. You know, because when you start doing evil, you just do it with one hand behind your back, you know, or you try to make sure it's, it's sly or slick or people can't see. They're just all in, both hands, doing whatever they want, taking for themselves, shedding blood. The prince asks for gifts, the judge seeks a bribe, and the great man utters his evil desire. And so they scheme together. This again is the elite. It's those at the top. The prince asks for gifts. Do you know, this is, this is counterintuitive to God's kingdom. This is the exact opposite of what the kingdom of God looks like and what we partake of from the Lord. In fact, the prince doesn't require gifts from you. False religion would like you to think that you have to give these gifts to God, to Jesus, these sacrifices and the to-do boxes and all these things. False. It's the prince that's given gifts to you. It's the prince that's giving gifts to you. It's not him requiring gifts from you, taking advantage of you like they were here. The judge seeks a bribe. There's no real true uh, judgment that's made, it's based on the m- amount of money that's given. Can you bribe God? You cannot. Why? Because he's righteous. He's a righteous God, and he's a righteous judge. And the great man, emphasis on great man, somebody who's recognized in the community and the nation, the great man utters his evil desire. He just says what he wants to do. And people applaud or cheer him for it they scheme together we're not gonna get
get into that. We already talked about it a few times. In, in the condition that we're in right now in our country, it seems like the upper echelon is corrupt and they seem to just scheme together uh, for evil, really. When ultimately what's going to happen is they're going to start looking to take advantage of the people like happens in all these other countries around the world. You know what the cornerstone for us is in this country? Jesus Christ. Jesus is the equalizer. And people realize that. And we, we should look at the situation that we're in right now with this, this uh, campaign and this presidential election coming up. And you know what we need to be doing? Stop worrying about tomorrow. Stop worrying about those guys. Pray for them and stuff. But we need to start praying for the next one after him. We need to start with the youth now. We need to start praying for God to raise up godly men and women to go into the government and to be the example that Jesus wants us as Christians to be. And we'll start reaping the fruit for those prayers that we're praying seriously now in 10 and 20 and 30 years. And we can tell those people, we were praying for you. We're so thankful that God answered our prayer 20 years later to have a godly person in this position that is not corrupt. The best of them is a briar. <laughs> but how good does it get? The best of them is still going to prick you, still going to poke you, is a briar. And the most upright is sharper than a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman and your punishment comes, now shall be their perplexity. Now this is something that I, you know, I think about and it's kind of, kind of hard for me to wrap my head around. They're always shocked and surprised when there's an accounting that comes, Right? They've been doing corrupt and evil for so long and, and, and finally it stops and it's addressed and, and they're all surprised, they're perplexed. How did, why would that happen? Oh, I don't know. Maybe because you are not following the Lord. Maybe because you're treating others so terribly. Hey, this is a little gray, okay, but it gets better, all right? Hang in there, chin up. Jesus loves you. Okay, maybe it gets a little worse before it gets better. Do not trust in a friend. Do not put your confidence in a companion. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your bosom. For son dishonors father, daughter rises against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. Therefore, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Nobody, no kind of relationship that you can have, them. Do not trust a friend. Do not put your confidence in a companion. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your bosom. <laughs> your own wife, be careful what you say because she could let somebody else know. This is how bad it was. This is how terrible things were. Son dishonors father. Daughter rises against her mother. Daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Enemies are his own household. And then that big, glorious, therefore. You can circle it. I, I boxed it with a box. I like boxes. 
I circle some things and box some things and do different. This is a box because I think it's important. In light of everything that we just talked about. Therefore, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. When there's nobody else to turn to. When you feel like nobody will take you seriously, when you feel like everybody is against you, there is one that is always for you. Always. And you can have that confidence. I thank God for our fellowship, for our church, and to know that we're not against each other, to know that there's many of you that I could call during the week and say, hey, listen, can you pray for me about this? Can you, can you check into this for me? Can you, can you pray with me right now? And, and many people would say, yeah. But I don't have to be careful what I say because it might go around to someone else. That it, it, it's just there's a confidence in relationship. I don't want any of my confidence to be in anybody because when it boils down to it, the Lord is the only one really that is, has my best interests at heart. He's the one that I can place ultimate co- uh, confidence in. I love how this, this chapter starts to wrap up. We're going to see in the next few verses and, the, and next week because we're only going to do half the chapter today. I like how this chapter wraps up with, with the, the forward looking to God's restoration and forgiveness. It has to be like that. Even what he says here, do not rejoice over me. Verse 8, do not rejoice over me, my enemy. When I fall, I will arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my case and executes justice for me. He will bring me forth to the light. Do you know what that is? That is divine confidence. There's so many people who think if they mess up, then that's it. It's all over. We see these great falls of, of pastors in, a, in the United States and everywhere else. They make a big mistake, and, and once that's over, uh, it's, it's done. They're finished, never again to be a minister. I don't think that's the biblical model. I think the biblical model is restoration to some capacity. And I've seen men who have made mistakes who have allowed compromise into their life, who were before godly men who loved the Lord, who fell, who made a mistake, and I've seen them gloriously, 100% restored. Praise the Lord, because that's his heart. And the person who is falling or has fell should be uh, conscious of the consequences, just like what he said, I've sinned, I'm going to take these consequences, but I know what is in store for me, the Lord is going to restore. Do not rejoice over me, my enemy. Don't take great confidence in my demise because I'm coming back. Because our God is a God of restoration. And this is that verse, these verses right here, that are so closely connected to confession. Confession. Like I said, I've, I've talked to a lot of people, and I've talked to a lot of people who I've been able to share the gospel with, and, and they maybe would say, yes, I believe in Jesus. Yes, I believe those things are true. I call myself a Christian, but I'm not sorry for the way that I live my life. 
I'm not making apologies to anybody. This is the way God made me or whatever. And I don't have to be responsible for the things that I do. That is false. That's false. We'll all be held accountable for what we do. But if we're walking with the Lord and submitting ourselves to Him, we can have confidence that He has a desire and a heart to restore and to bring life and to demonstrate what real love looks like. Because how can we demonstrate genuine love to the world if we don't know what it is? We, de- we demonstrate genuine love better than anybody else does or can because we've experienced it. We're experiencing it and executes justice for me. He will bring me forth to the light. I will see his righteousness. Then she who is my enemy will see and shame will cover her who said to me, where is the Lord your God? My eyes will see her. Now she will be trampled down like mud in the streets. This is exactly what God's heart was for the nation of Israel. And it's very true that the prophet Micah should be looking forward to this because it's what God was going to do in restoring the nation. The enemies that would gloat over her are going to see that they're going to be destroyed. The people that he used as an instrument to bring discipline on the nation, they're going to be put down. So I think the question for us is, when is the last time you asked yourself, when is the last time you investigated the condition of your heart to see if there was anything that needed to be confessed and to be willing. If you're willing to take an evaluation and say, this is something, not necessarily even that has to go, but needs to be addressed, the Lord can help you let it go. It's part of the the end of the process. The beginning is recognition. The next is repentance. The next is confession. And then the Lord starts to work things out. And if there has to be an account that's made, if there has to be something that, you know, happens because of the consequences, then so be it. But we can have confidence that God's heart is to restore us. And what I mean when I say that is we can be sure that he's going to do it. Not just that he has a heart to do it, but when we submit ourselves to him fully, we confess and we receive He already begins the restoration process. You know, I've seen people that that have had their families completely broken and their lives destroyed because of sin. And I can't even, I can't even think of how it was for them before to see the restoration in their lives today. That they submitted, they repented, and God restored them, and you would think that that never even happened. And God in His goodness and His grace, that's how He works. I'm thankful, I'm so thankful that that's the God that we serve. I'm thankful that we can have confidence going out that not only does God have good things for you in store, He's set good things for you to walk in since the foundation of the earth was laid, But even when you make mistakes, even when I make mistakes, God's intention towards me is good. 
And you can take confidence in that verse. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Even in my mistakes, even in my sin, God brings restoration. That's the good. That's the good. Especially when it comes to right relationship with God. It kind of worked out today that we're going to have a baptism and we're going to partake of communion, the only two sacraments that were instructed by Jesus Christ in the New Testament to partake of. Not seven, not nine, not 56. Two, receiving the elements of communion, the Lord's Supper, and baptism. And today, in, in light of the text, what we've looked at, in light of what the Lord is doing in our hearts right now, what better time than to reflect a little on where we're at, where our hearts are at. Get right with the Lord before you receive communion. Experience and see what it's like when people submit themselves to Jesus Christ and fresh new life is clearly evident. Let's pray. God, we ask you, as even as a church, to look at our heartbeat, to look at our heart and to, in your gracious, loving kindness, reveal to us some things that may need to be addressed. We trust that you're good, God. We trust that you want to do that for our benefit, not for our detriment. And God, we pray that you would give us a measure of grace to quickly respond to you when you do give us that instruction. And also, Lord, on the individual level, we pray that you would, you would speak to us individually. Tell us the things that we need to address before you. Thank you for allowing and creating right relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.